actually has an outline for your story, and it's found in Jeremiah 29, 11. And this is God's outline for your story. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. When God wrote the outline for your personal story, those were his exact words. When he thought about your life, that is what he declared over your personal life. Now, this is an Old Testament verse, but I believe that God backed it up in the New Testament. When the Holy Spirit spoke through Paul in Romans 8, 28, and, and Paul said, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, of those who are the called according to his purpose. See, God's plan for your story is a good plan. And no matter what you're going through today, God wants to work it for your good and for his glory. Not one of you is left out or forgotten. You know, as I was studying, I thought about you know, what we studied this morning, when God was leading his precious children through the wilderness on the way to the land of milk and honey, you know, and they were just traveling through the wilderness year after year after year. This was what was on God's heart. We find it in Deuteronomy 8.16. In the wilderness, God fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Listen, if you don't see goodness in your life, your story's not over yet. Because we serve a God who's going to do good for you in the end. Your story is going to be tied together by threads of goodness. And when you look back at, at all the chapters in, in your life, throughout your entire life, you're going to see the goodness of God spring forth to life on every single page in every single sentence. You know, when life is hard and money is short and the kids are out of control and you're lonely and you get a bad doctor's report, I, I want you to remind yourself, this is not the end of my story because God has promised to work good for me in the end. The end of my story is going to smack. It's going to reverberate with the goodness of God. You know, one of the uh, translations um, of Romans 8.28 says, God has been to the end of your story, and it is good because he is good. So I'm telling you right now, God has good for you in your story this side of heaven. You know, as I read the Bible, as I study the life stories of people in the Bible, I realize that God has been working with his people since the dawn of creation, and he's still working with us today. Um, God has been working with his people since the Garden of Eden to try to convince us that his word is true, that he's got the best plans for us, and that we should never live a life based on what we see in the natural. That's what he's trying to convince all of us in our life story. Well, in our final session today, we're going to study the story, the life story, a great story of a man and a woman who had to wait a long time to see the promise of God come true in their life. Anybody in here waiting for something? We're all waiters. We're all waiting for something, aren't we? Some of you are waiting for babies. Some of you are waiting for bonuses or raises. Some of you are waiting for a dream home. Some of you are waiting to go to college. Some of you are waiting for husbands. Um, we all wait for something. And I can tell you this. 
How you wait matters to the fabric of your story. I, I tell the single girls at church all the time, listen, wait well. While you're waiting for your husband, work in the nursery, go on the retreats with the youth group, invest your life in eternal things while you're waiting. We're all waiting for something, so let's wait well. You know, as human beings, we think that waiting is bad. We don't want to wait in the doctor's office. We don't want to wait for our food in the fast food line. Um, we, we don't want to wait for food, so we buy microwaves, so we don't even have to wait anymore for anything. But let me just submit this to you this, today. What if God thinks waiting is good? What if of all the gifts that he gives you this side of heaven, one of the gifts that he gives you is the opportunity to wait? See, we're frustrated with that. We don't like it. But that's because we're looking at it from a human point of view. But from a heavenly perspective, waiting is a strengthening tool in all of our lives. Those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. Waiting is what God uses to strengthen his children this side of heaven. So waiting is what happens in the middle of all of our stories, isn't it? It's when we just have to hunker down, trust God, not look to ourselves, not look to people, but just know that goodness is going to invade my life story. So this man that we're going to study today, God spoke to this man one day, and he said, Hey, Abe, I want you to move, and I'm not going to tell you where you're going. Yeah, how would that make you feel? You know, because I know women, I know how you'd respond to your husbands. If your husband said, Hey, honey, pack the car, pack the kids, pack the dog, pack the china. We're moving. And you say, Where are we going? It's a surprise. What? I I'm not... Because I know you, I know that you would give your husband the silent treatment if that's what he said to you. But that's what God did with Abraham. You know, if we were to read about Abraham in the New Testament, this is what we read about brother Abraham. Hebrews eleven eight. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He didn't have a clue. He just knew that he had heard God's voice, and he was an obeyer. He was going to obey the Lord whom he served. Now, I want to tell you something. As human beings, we like everything written out in black and white. God, if you tell me what's going to happen next, I'll go. But see, that's not the way God works with his children. He wants you to learn to hear his voice and to obey, even if he doesn't reveal it all at once, even if he just gives you a partial revelation. So when I read Hebrews 11, 8, I always tell people, don't read this verse historically. Read it personally. Abraham was a real man who, who lived with his people, with his family in a secure place. He was a very successful human being at his moment in history. And God said, leave the easy days of living behind so that I can give you great, so that you will exchange good for great. And we're going to pick up Abraham's story in Genesis chapter 12, reading verses 1 through 3. 
Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. And so shall you be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, Abraham, Abram, all the families of the earth will be blessed. You see, Change had to happen in Abram's story for his story to end in a great place, for his story to end in a place of blessing. It was God's plan to, to turn Abram into something he could never be on his own, to, to live in a way that he could never live if he stayed in the easy, in the comfortable, in the good. God had chosen Abram to carry a blessing that would actually live beyond Abram's life. But God said, but Abe, in order for that to happen, some changes have to take place. You are going to have to move. You're going to have to change your plans, Abe. You're, you're going to have to throw away your five-year plan. You're going to have to get out of your comfort zone if you want to partner with me and the greatest blessing you could ever imagine. You know, I don't know about you, but for me, I know that sometimes the reason I haven't experienced God's great is because I haven't been willing to change. I liked my comfortable life. I remember when God called us to leave North Carolina, and I didn't want to go. Like, you know, you, you can see my heels dragging all the way from North Carolina to Buffalo, New York. I'm sure it's still in the, in the highways all the way. But when God was working with me, and, and I was living in my dream house at the time, and, and I loved our church, and I loved my family, and, and I said, God, wait a minute. Do you not realize, God, that my kids' names are etched in the cement beside our, our basketball goal, and my dogs are buried in the backyard, and I have to leave that? And God said, yeah, you do. But I know you all think that's ridiculous. But when we try to hang on the past, it's ridiculous. If God's calling us to something new, to something fresh, to something different, to something that's going to bring a blessing greater than we could ever imagine. Now, God has given us free will. He's given us freedom of choice. And God is going to suggest change. He's going to encourage change. He's going to talk about the new things in your life that he desires, but he's not going to force you to do it. That's up to you. That's the part of your story that you get to write. But I want to encourage you today as a Bible teacher and as a woman of God, if God says go, go. If God says move, move. If God says change, change. If God says let go, then let go, sister. When God speaks to you, your only response should be, yes, sir, when should I have my bags packed? When should I go? This is a verse for somebody in the room today. This is a personal verse for somebody who's here today. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder the things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. So what old is God calling you to leave behind so you can see the new that he wants you to do in your life? You know, God is never going to give you the new unless you give up the old. 
God is never going to bring you into that place of blessing unless you let go of the past. It's an exchange that happens with God. You know, perhaps God is asking you to give up an old heart attitude. Perhaps God is asking you to give up unforgiveness or fear or worry or spending habits. Perhaps God's asking you to give up a relationship. Um, Maybe God is asking you to let go of your kids a little bit better, all you moms of young adults. Um, We all have an Abram moment in our lives when God says, now, go forth, it's time, change, I'm going to bless, go, go, go. We all have that Abram moment. And we all also have that Abram moment in the sense we have to decide. Will we stay or will we go? Will we obey or will we resist? Will we change or will we stay the same? You know, God is speaking to you today just like he spoke to Abram. And, and God is saying, you cannot stay where you are and still have my best for your life. God is saying today, if you want my plans for your life, my best for your life, then change has to happen. You know, God said to Abram, buddy, you got to trust me. You got to trust me through transition. And even though I'm not showing you the whole picture, you got to trust me that I'm going to take you to a place of blessing. You know, so many of us say, okay, God, I will go. God, I'm a follower. I'm a disciple. I'm going to go where you take me, but you got to tell me first. If you tell me, then I'll go. If you tell me what happens next, then I'll go. But sisters, you know what? That's not trust, that's sight. That, that's walking by sight and not by faith. God does have a will for you. He's got a best for you. He's got a blessing for you. He has a destiny for you. But he's not going to show it to you until you're willing to leave the past behind. So what did our friend Abe do? Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram obeyed. He said, yes, sir, my bags are packed. I'm following you. Let me gather my crew. We're on our way. We're going to follow you, God. You know, obedience and the great story that God wants to write through your life go hand in hand. You will never have one without the other. You will never experience God's great story for your life if you refuse to obey him even when it's hard. Let me ask you this. Which is more important for you, to hang on to the past, to hang on to today, or to live in God's place of blessing and greatness? Because generally you can't have both. Abram didn't know the details, but he obeyed anyway. Genesis chapter 12, verses 5 through 8. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions, which they had accumulated. Remember, he was a rich man. They had a lot of stuff. They needed like three Mayflower trucks to take them. (laughs) And the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land. Now, this, this is interesting. Hang with me here as I read these verses. Abram passed through the land as 
far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Morah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So he worshipped. When he heard the voice of God, he had moved, he had changed, he had packed, they had started on their journey. He built an altar altar. Then, verse 8, he proceeded from there to the mountain east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So do you see that twice in this story already, very early in Abraham's story, we see that he built an altar. This represents the fact that Abram was a worshiper. That wherever he go, he honored the name of the Lord. Whether, whether he was staying in, in a great place or in a little place, Abram worshiped the Lord. Abram worshiped the Lord even when he didn't know where he was going. He built an altar. My friend, Abram kept God on the throne of his life even while he was waiting to see what happened next. If you want God's great story for your life, you will change. You will obey and you will worship. Those are the three sure signs of somebody who is intent on living a great story. When God says change, you will change. You will obey his voice and you will worship the Lord no matter what the climate is and no matter what your circumstances look like. Genesis 13, 1 through 4. Y'all sure are being quiet today. Do you need to like pinch each other or something? You're going to go home with black and blue arms after I'm telling you to pinch each other. <clears throat> Genesis 13, 1 through 4. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged to him and Lot with him. And Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he went out on his journey from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Do you see what happened here? Abram retraced his steps. He went right back to where he had already been. God was leading them, telling them where to go, and, and, and they were traveling on their journey when God led them right back to a place that Abram had already been. And do you see what Abram did in that place? He didn't whine. He wasn't impatient. He worshiped the Lord. He built an altar in that place. So sisters, even when it looks like you're not making any progress in life, even when it feels like your life is on hold, when nothing has changed, when you haven't gotten anywhere, it's okay. Worship anyway. Worship in the place where you feel like your life is paused. Worship in the place where you feel like your life is on hold. That's what it takes to write a great story. You see, worship is not a one-time choice. Worship is a lifestyle. We are the people of God, and we worship no matter what our conditions are like. You know, any Anybody can come to church and worship with this great worship band, right? But will you be like Abram and worship when all you see is the same old, same old? When you feel like nothing's changing for you? When you feel like you might have been forgotten? Will you keep your eyes on Jesus and declare his praise and his glory even during the waiting days of life? You know, Abram knew what you and I often ignore. It's a scary mistake to move into the what before you know who you are. And Abram knew who he was. Abram was a worshiper. 
Abram was an obeyer. And so before God could take Abram into his what, they had to establish some things in Abram's life. And Abram was an obeyer, and he was a worshiper. Abram was a man who listened for God's voice, who obeyed God's voice, and who worshiped. The dreams, the plans, the achievements, the blessings all came after that. But first, what was established in the story of Abram was who he was. He was a man who listened for the voice of God. He was a man who obeyed the voice of God. And he was a man who worshiped the Lord no matter what his circumstances were like. So as you write your story, I want you to remember the man Abram. I want you to remember that God wants you to decide who you will be before you decide what you want to accomplish. God wants to do an inner work in you before the outer blessings begin to come. Genesis 13, verses 5 through 11. You know, y'all can say amen, okay, just so you know that. Like, you know, there's freedom in the room. Um, you can say preach, you can say teach, you can say glory to God, you can say hallelujah, okay? That, that's right, I like it. <laughs> you might keep the woman beside you awake by doing that, which is a good thing. Genesis 13, 5. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. And the land couldn't sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling with them in the land. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, not between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for, for we're brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. So Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The land that Lot saw was like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zor. So Lot chose for himself the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward, and thus they separated from each other. This is an incredible um, moment in the story because Abram, the elder, who should have gotten the best, said, Lot, take your pick. You, you choose whatever seems good and right to you. And Lot, younger than Abram, looked. He was living by sight, not by faith. He, he didn't wait to hear the voice of God. He made a choice based on what he saw. What he felt was a good choice. And Abram said to him, that's fine. You can take the best. I'm good. I'll go the other direction. Abram was generous, and Lot was selfish. Abram walked by hearing God's voice, and Lot walked by what he wanted, what he thought was best, what he thought was most successful. Do you know what selfishness is at its very core? This might be a definition of selfishness you have never heard before. But selfishness is walking by sight and not by faith. Generosity, unselfishness, 
is walking by faith and not by sight. Um, unselfishness is trusting that God has what's best for you. Unselfishness is tying yourself to the verse in Acts 20 that says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Do you believe that? I, I believe it. I believe it with every cell in my being that it really is more blessed to give than to receive. Unselfishness is the direct root that a person takes to live God's great story for their life. Um, as I said, Abram was the elder and Lot was, was the younger. Abram was the uncle. He had provided for Lot. He had paved a way for Lot. And Lot was the beneficiary of all Abram's hard work, of everything that Abram had worked for. Abram had no son at this point, And so Lot was apparently the beneficiary of all Abram's wealth. And when it came time to choose land, Lot chose the best, the most fertile, the most green. You know, how could Abram do this? You know, a lot of dads, uncles, grandfathers would say, um, let, let's talk about that. Have you really earned that? I, I don't believe you. And that, that might be fine. But this is what Abram knew. Abram knew that no matter what choice Lot made, that God was in charge. That Lot wasn't in charge. God was in charge. And so Abram didn't sweat it out. He wasn't panic-stricken. He didn't go to the tent and say to Sarah, can you believe what Lot did after how good we've been to him? <laughs> Abram trusted that God was in charge and that God would write the end of his story and that, would, that it would be good because God is good. And Abram didn't have to depend on people to write the goodness into a story. Abram depended on God to write the goodness into his story. So you know what? I want to remind you today that your life is in God's hands. It's not in anybody else's hands but God's. And he will have the last say in your story, and it will be good because God is good. When other people get their promotion or the pay raise, when other people take what should have been yours, it's all good because God is good and he's in charge of your story. Um, when somebody else is blessed, do you whine and pout? Do you wish you were living their story instead of your story? Do you say to God, I don't want my story. I don't like my story. I like her story. Give me her story. No, that's not who we are as women of God. This is a verse for somebody in this room today. The Holy Spirit has guaranteed me that this verse is for somebody who's listening today. Psalm 138.8, for the Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forget the work of your hands. Is somebody grabbing onto that verse today and saying, Carol, that's mine. I'm taking it. I'm going to cling to it. Well, on to the story, back to the story of Lot and Abraham, Genesis 13, 12 and 13. And so Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. You know, if there were sound effects in the Bible, this is where dun, 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 dun would be ringing through the room. Lot moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. You know, when you choose based on sight rather than by faith, rather than by hearing God's voice, you're not going to get what you thought you were going to get. You might be surprised 
at what you get. If you make all your choices based on sight, based on selfishness, based on what I want. You know, Abram was unselfish, and so God gave him the possibility of living an absolutely great story. That's what it takes to live a great story is to be unselfish in all of our ways. Even though Lot chose what looked to be the finest, the best, the most productive, the richest, the wealthiest land, it deceived him. Lot was deceived by what he saw in the natural. So many times what we want in life is a mere deception of all the great that God actually has for us. Um, we choose based upon feelings, based upon preference, based upon opinion, based upon looks, based upon success, based upon culture. That's what Lot did, and he chose Sodom. Are you kidding me? Abram knew it's all good. I'll let him have the best because God will accomplish what concerns me. Genesis 13, 14 through 16. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. I want to read verse 17. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Sisters, what you see is not what God sees. When God looks at your life, he sees a future. He sees goodness. He sees blessing. He sees all of the things that he has planned for you, and you don't have to be dependent on the people around you for it because God is in charge of your story. Don't keep telling God what you see in the natural. But God, they chose the best. But God, they got the promotion. But God, no, 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 no. Say, God, show me your view of my life. God, show me things that I don't see in the natural. Father, what do you see? I want to see my future the way you see my future. God sees something greater than you could ever imagine for your life. So don't focus on the selfishness of others. Don't focus on the promotion or the success of others. You focus on the goodness of God and see what he will do in your life. You focus on hearing his voice, obeying him, and worshiping him, and God is going to give you a perspective that you have never had before. You know, when you see the selfishness of others, when you see the greener grass on the other side of the fence, don't ever forget that God sees something greater than you could ever see in the natural. Okay, I've got another verse that's for somebody in this room this afternoon. It's 1 Corinthians 2.9. You ready for your verse? Are you sitting on the edge of your seats? But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. You can't outdream God. 
God has so much for your life you can't even imagine. It hasn't even entered your heart yet, the things that God has for you. That verse is for somebody in this room today who's hopeless, who's discouraged, who's running out of patience, who feels like they're running out of time. You know, I have always loved the story of Corey Ten Boom, as most of you know. Sorry to be a broken record. But did you know that God didn't start using her till she was in her 60s? Until that time, she was an overweight, unmarried woman. The church would only let her teach the special needs class. She was a clockmaker living at home, fixing dinners for her daddy. When one day her daddy said, we're going to hide Jews in this house. And so they began to build a little room, and they hid Jews in their home through the years leading up to and during World War II. And then she was put in a concentration camp for four years Do you ever think that Corey thought, God, what are you doing? Doesn't my life matter to you? Where are you, God? I thought you had something for me. And it wasn't until Corey was released from the concentration camp by a mistake, by a legal mistake, that she started to travel the world and be a tramp for the Lord. Listen, if you feel like you're forgotten, you're not. If you feel like time is running out, it is not. The Bible says that when we serve God, when we know him and love him, that our latter can be better than our former. Do you believe it? I believe it. Genesis 13, 18. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. This is a great story. No matter where Abram was, no matter where he wasn't, no matter what called him, God called him to do, where to go, no matter who took the best, Abram was a worshiper. He couldn't stop worshiping the Lord. Nothing was going to stop Abram's praise. What stops yours? What stop? Don't let anything stop your praise. We are a women. We are women who worship. We are a generation of worshipers. Don't allow anything to stop your worship. Genesis 15, 1. You sure are quiet. I like it when you're noisy. Genesis 15, 1. And after these things, oh, this These next verses that we're going to look at, let me just tell you, I could read these verses every single day of my life. These next five or six verses, I could read them every day. If I had a tattoo, which I don't, mom, don't panic, I'm not going to get one. Um, (laughs) These would be the verses, but it's okay because they're tattooed on my heart. I don't need them on my skin because I've got them on my heart. Genesis 15.1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear, Abram. I'm a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. You know, girls, in God's great story for your life, there's no room for fear. No room for fear. If you want to live the great story, get rid of fear right now. Throw it out the window. Say, from this day forward, I'll never be afraid again. From this day forward, I'll never worry again. I'm drawing a line in the sand. April 21st, 2018, worry will never cross the threshold of my heart again. I'm not going to worry. 
because I'm going to live in God's great story for my life. Just like you can't be selfish and expect to live a great story, you can't be afraid and expect to live a great story. Fear and worry will keep you in a very small spot in life. You'll never be able to dream with God if you're always afraid of what's going to happen next. If you're afraid of the future, if every decision that you make is birthed in fear. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I'm just so afraid, so I'm going to, what? What? Oh, I'm just so afraid, so I think I'm going to do this. No, we don't make decisions based on fear, girls. We make decisions based on faith in a big God who's working all things together for our good, and we hear his voice. So God said, Abram, get, get one thing straight. Don't be afraid, buddy. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I got gotcha. you. I'm going to reward you. And in verse 2, Abram said, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. So as you know, Abram and Sarai didn't have any babies, and apparently there had been a child born in his house, probably to a servant. And so Abram had sort of just taken him in and and... Abram said to God, yeah, he's all I got. I, I don't have a child that I'm a father to. I, I don't know how you're going to bless me, God, because blessing comes through children. But, but God, I'm pretty discouraged. God, I've been waiting a long time. You know, if Abram makes one mistake in the story, th this is probably it right here. In this conversation with God, he gives in to discouragement. And man, I have done that so many times of you. Don't, don't leave me standing up here all alone. How many times have you given in to discouragement and, and spewed it out in a conversation with God? You know, Abram was saying, God, I'm just so discouraged. We got no kids, and I'm trying to make this, this child work in our home, and I just don't know where the blessing is going to come from. You know what the mistake that Abram actually makes in this verse is that he's focused on what he doesn't have instead of on who God is. Oh, let me say that again. Abram is focused on what he doesn't have rather than on who God is. Abram's saying, God, I got no babies, and it's your fault. You could have given me a baby, but I'm no spring chicken, if you know what I mean. Um, Abram's saying, God, I don't know what your idea of a great story is, but this is not my idea of a great story. Um, so what I like to say when I teach on these verses is that Abram is daring God to play the blame game. He's blaming God for what he doesn't have and for the way his life has turned out. Now, I know none of you have ever done that. You've never blamed God for your disappointment or your discouragement or your lack of something. You know, we, we can laugh about it, and we know we shouldn't do it. But there are situations and times in life that we go through things that cause us to question the goodness of God, right? And, and it's really not a laughing matter because there are situations in life that are so painful and so traumatic that we do wonder, just like Abram did, God, what's wrong with me? Why don't I have a baby? Like, is there something wrong with me? And you know what? It is okay to go to God.
with your human pain, to go to him humbly, to, to go to him and pour your heart out to him and, and tell him what's going on in the innermost part of yourself because you know what? He knows, but he wants you to tell him. But the important takeaway in this verse is for us as human beings to remember not to blame God, but to bless God even when we're in pain. You know, one of our college friends um, had this extraordinary son, the oldest of a family of about eight, and um, Joel met the girl of his dreams at church, and the whole church watched them court and then get married, and they had this wedding that just was incredible. I actually watched it online. Yes, it was a wedding online. It was, you know, uh, this was probably 10 or 15 years ago now. And when he and his bride were on their honeymoon, she had a pain in her chest and a cough that wouldn't go away. And so Joel said, when we, when we go home, you better go to the doctor's. So they came home from their honeymoon, and she was diagnosed with lung cancer, 22 years old, never smoked. And they spent the next year going around the world to doctors, trying to get any kind of treatment that would give them any hope. But she died on their one-year anniversary, young, young. And you know what I did then? I watched the funeral online, because that was online. And Joel got up in front of the same thousand or so people who had been at his wedding. And he started the service, this young groom. And he stood at the front of that church and he said, we are not a people who blame God. We are a people who bless God. So let's worship the Lord together today. I want to be like that. Do you? Even when I go through trauma and disappointment and discouragement, in the gut of me, in the deepest part of me, I want to be able to say, I am a woman who blesses the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my lips. That's the story that I want to live. If you want to live a truly great story, you'll be done with the blame game. You'll throw it out of your closet of possible choices. When you're tempted to play the blame game, remind yourself of who God is and what he has for you. Go back to Jeremiah 29, 11 and Romans 8, 28 and declare it, declare it, declare it over your pain until it becomes part of who you are. So then what happens next in my five favorite verses in the Old Testament? Then behold, in verse 4, the word of the Lord came to Abram saying, Nope, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He will be your heir. And God took Abram outside and said, Buddy, you know, I can just picture this. I can just picture it so real that, that Abram felt a hand on his shoulder. What? What? And the hand of God was on the shoulder of Abram. And God said, come on, Abram, let me take you outside. Let me take you outside of your pain. Let me take you outside of your small thinking. Let me take you outside of your blame. And let's have some fun together. Abram, are you ready to have some fun with God? And God took Abram outside and said, now Abram looked toward the heavens and count the stars. What? Count the stars? 
if you're able to count them. And God said to Abram, so shall your descendants be. And Abram believed in the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to Abram as righteousness. Yeah, give God a cheer. That's a good one. When we insist on staying in a place of pain and staying in a small place and wondering if God loves us, God is good enough and big enough to coax us out of our pain, past the blame, into the magnificent possibilities that he has for us. God said to Abram, buddy, let's count the stars. If you want something greater than your trauma, greater than your pain, greater than your disappointment, you will play this life-changing game with God. You will go outside of your pain and you will count the stars with God. Let me tell you something, my friends. We don't wish on a star. We pray to the God who made the stars. We don't wish on stars. We dream with the God who made the stars. If you want your story to be great, you will start praying to the God who made the stars. You will start dreaming with the God who made the stars. You know what I believe that night? That Abram and God weren't actually looking at gaseous matters that were thousands of light years away in the universe. You know what I believe? They were looking at the faces of the millions of people that would be born because of the seed of Abram. You know who God and Abram were looking at that night? They were looking at you and they were looking at me. That we are part of Abram's great story. God was showing Abram that the same God who threw the stars into space is a personal God, and he is involved in our lives. And I wonder if all our disappointments were meant to teach us the exact same thing, that we serve a personal God. You know, earthly parents teach us how to tie our shoes. They potty train us. They teach us how to write our names. They teach us how to sleep all night. Hopefully, they teach us how to balance our checkbooks, um, how to drive a car, how to eat without making a mess. Hopefully, our parents give us some social skills. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Thank you. But our Heavenly Father also wants to teach us some things. And our Heavenly Father wants us to teach us to count the stars. Your Heavenly Father wants to teach you it's time to dream again. No matter what your past pain has been, no matter how discouraged you are, no matter how impatient you are, no matter how selfish you've been, it's time to dream again. Our Heavenly Father woos us at a moment of disappointment, and he says, let's dream Come on, listen to my voice. Let me remind you of who I am. You know, Craig and I have this rule in our marriage that's been from the very earliest days that when we were having, we don't call them fights, okay? We call them discussions, okay? Anybody else have marital discussions? Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> All right, who's going to win? Who's going to win? Well, it's the first one to forgive. The first one to forgive is the winner, right? Isn't that the truth? Mm -hmm. Well, who wins in these conversations with God? When you're having a conversation with God, 
and you're blaming him, and he's trying to take you out of your pain, and he's trying to encourage you that he's got something good for you, and, and you're being a little bit stubborn about it. How, how, how can we draw this thing to a conclusion? How, how can we tie up the strings of this conversation? Verse 6, and Abram believed in the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to Abram as righteousness. When you finally get to the place in your life where you believe the Lord, you won. That's when, a, that's when a Christian wins, when they finally say, okay, I believe. You know, other people say, uncle, we say father. Okay, father, I believe, I believe. And God says, you believe? Yes, I believe. Great, because you just won. I'm a rewarder of people who have faith. This verse says that God reckoned it to him, which means that he put it in the benefit column of Abram's life. Abram was benefited in that moment. He won the gift of righteousness simply because he believed. Now, Genesis 16, 1 and 2. We're almost done. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. This is where the soap opera music starts, okay? <laughs> And Sarai said to Abram, now behold, the Lord has prevented me, blame, control. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Um, blame always is a precursor to control, which is a precursor to sin. That's the way it goes. Blame, control, sin. Blame, control, sin. Now, not only does this impact you, but it impacts the people around you, right? Because that's what control does. You impact the people around you. And unfortunately in this story, Abram listened to Sarah's voice, which was unbelievable at this moment in history. It was a patriarchal um, society where men were everything and women were nothing. But Sarai and Abram must have had a pretty extraordinary relationship because when Sarai spoke, Abram listened to her and he gave in to her control. And if I could just pause for a moment here and say to all you sweet, precious, married ladies, don't try to control your husbands. That's God's job, not yours. Okay? Done. That's enough. Blame is a poison that's passed out through our emotional DNA. And we're listening to the voice of a very bitter woman in this verse, in these verses. And let me tell you something I have learned is that blame is always birthed out of bitterness. So it goes bitterness, blame, control, sin. If you're bitter about something, then you got to blame somebody, right? And then you got to control the situation, which is a sin. But there's something that comes before bitterness in this continuum we're looking at. And do you know what comes before bitterness? Why, that would be selfishness. When you're looking at things from I, me, mine, what I want, I got to have, I got to get it, you're selfish, and you don't get it, so you become bitter. And then you start blaming. It's got to be somebody's fault they don't have this. And then you start controlling the situation, 
which leads to sin. You know, we can learn so much from Sarai's story, but I hope that you'll learn that when you're in those moments in life where you're feeling selfish, to nip it in the bud. You know, whenever I'm feeling selfish, you know what I, because I do feel selfish. Does anybody else in the room feel selfish sometimes? Yeah. You know what I do in that moment? I identify it. Carol, that's selfish. And I try to give. I try to bless. I try to be generous to somebody. And all of a sudden, it's gone. So identify it and then do the opposite. That's what we do with selfishness. Genesis 17.1. So sweet, Sarah, made a huge mistake. They had a baby who's still causing problems today. And now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. You know, God was saying, Abram, let's get one thing straight. And I think this is something God wants to say to some of you today. Let's get one thing straight. Are you ready for your one thing to be straight? He is God and you are not. God is God and Abram was not. This is the first time in scripture that God introduces himself as El Shaddai. I am sufficient. I am enough. If you've got me, buddy, you got all you need. And sisters, I want to tell you, if you got the Lord, you've got more than enough. You've got more than enough to get through any day. God said to Abram, quit playing the blame game with me, Abe. I'm more than enough to write a great story through you, regardless of what your circumstances look like at any possible decade. I am enough to write your story. Sisters, I don't know what's going on in the middle of your story, but I can tell you this. It is not over until God says it's over. Your story is not over until God says it's over. Um, And if there's no goodness in your life, your story's not over because God's goodness always invades our stories. Always. He always ties the loose ends together with his goodness so that we can bring him glory. Read a great quote this week. We have a hero who wins in the end, but in the middle he died. True story. So no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on in the middle of your story, like Abram and Sarah's story, sin, blame, selfishness, control, bitterness, listen, your story's not over. God is still working with you. And what he wants you to know is he is enough. He is more than enough. Verse 2. Now, nearly a quarter of a century has passed since Abram obeyed God. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly, Abraham, Abram. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. So even though a quarter of a century has passed, Abram still had no baby other than Ishmael, which was born out of a relationship that shouldn't have happened. And yet in this moment, Abram goes back to the man who he was at his core. He is a worshiper. And what does he do? He falls on his face and worships the Lord. So I don't know how many of you just are so disappointed with your life and you don't know if you can go on and you've waited so long for the goodness of God to intervene. Do what Abram did. Fall 
on your face in the middle of your story. Fall on your face before the baby's born. Fall on your face before the Red Sea is parted. Fall on your face and worship the Lord before you've seen no change in your circumstances. You know, when a man or a woman responds to God by falling on their face, the miracle begins. Heaven begins to move on their behalf. The great story becomes even greater. Plans are revealed in God's word is spoken. Verse 4. And as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I will make you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make the nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. So God said, okay, Abram, you fell on your face. I'm going to move. You surrendered everything. I'm going to move. And God said, Abram, I'm actually going to change your very identity. And he in this moment, when Abram fell on his face, God changed Abram's name from Abram to Abraham. Do you know what God did? God put the Yahweh sound of his own name into Abram's character. No longer was Abram just a man, but Abraham was now a man who was infused with the breath of God in his life. That's what happens to people who fall on their faces. They're infused with the breath of God. And then if you continue to read the story, God changed Sarai's name from Sarai to Sarah. Do you know what God did? He put the Yahweh sound in Sarah's name too, so that a woman was infused with the breath of God. This encourages me because sisters, no matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter what your issues with control have been, no matter how you've blamed people or become bitter at the lack in your life, God has his eye on you. He wants to use you and he wants to put the sound of his very name in you. He wants to breathe in your life so that your identity is wrapped up in the identity of God. Amen. Amen. Genesis 17, 5 and 6. I just read it to you. Okay, so now, quarter of a century. Abraham is 99 years old. Do, do you... Can anybody tell me in the Guinness Book of World Records? <laughs> Has a 99-year-old ever, like, fathered a child? Okay, I'm sure, because Abraham did it, but, like, right? It's right up there with the parting of the Red Sea. It's all I'm saying, okay? <laughs> God had first come to him when he was 75 and made him a promise, and the years have passed and still no babies. What are you waiting for? Because we're all waiting for something. And in the natural, it looks so impossible to you. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. My life has passed me by. It's never going to happen. I'm never going to get a husband. I'm never going to have a child. I'm never going to get a pay raise. I'm never going to get a new house. I'm never going to be healed. Now remember, what we have come to believe is that sometimes waiting is the greatest thing 
that could ever happen to us. What we look at as a pain, this side of heaven, God looks at a strengthening tool in our life as a valuable vitamin that's going to bring out the best in us. This is a verse for somebody in this room today. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain a new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Listen, I dare you never to complain about waiting again. Okay, you got it? Let's be a generation of women. We're not going to complain about waiting. We're going to say, bring it, bring it. I'll wait. I'll stand strong. I'll trust the Lord. I'll fall on my face. I'll be unselfish. I'll take the breath of God in my life. I'm going to wait on the Lord because it's going to strengthen me. And it's going to bring God's great into my life. Genesis 21 tells us about the birth of the baby that came when Abraham was about a hundred. What? And Sarah was about 80. No, 90. What? Listen, I had my last child at nearly 40, and like that was my cutting off point, okay? <laughs> like a nearly 40-year-old body doesn't respond the same way to pregnancy that a 26-year-old body does. I'm just saying, not to discourage anybody, but you know. But Sarah... She was almost 90 years old when she saw her belly start to stretch. When she realized, is my body going to endure the pains of labor? What just happened to me? What's going on? This is what Sarah, with the breath of God in her life, said. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. I love this phrase, the Lord took note of Sarah. And sisters, when you don't know what else to pray, when you're at the end, when there are no human words that you can pray anymore, Just say this, take note of me. Lord, take note of me. Remember me. Take note of me. And I I love it how this verse says that it happened at the appointed time of which God had spoken. You know what I've learned from the story of Abraham and Sarah? That God's time is not my time, okay? He has apparently has a different watch than I have. And his clock wins. His timeline wins. That that you can't demand your own way on your own schedule, but you can trust yourself to the promises, to the power, and to the presence of God that at his appointed time, your story will be a great story. You know, I've heard it said before that God is never late. He's never late. He's always on time. Never known him to be early either, but he's never late. 
never late. Verse 3. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Who, who in the world would have said to Abraham that Sarah would have a baby? Well, that would be God, of course. Because God specializes in the impossible. This verse is for somebody this afternoon. The things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Land there. Land there. So this is how the Bible records the end of Abraham's story. Genesis 24.1. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Genesis 25.8. And Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man, and satisfied with life, and he was gathered to his people. How will you be remembered? If the Holy Spirit were to write one verse about your life, what would the Holy Spirit say? I want the Holy Spirit to say of me what he said of Abraham. Died at a ripe old age. Filled with the blessing of God on her life. You know, we actually choose what the Holy Spirit says about us by the way we live our lives today. So if you're in a waiting mode, wait well. Trust God. Don't be selfish. Keep worshiping. Keep listening for his voice and obeying. No matter what you've gone through, no matter how painful it is, don't play the blame game, but count the stars with God. It's time for you to dream again. And remember that God's time is not your time. And when there's nothing else for you to pray, you can pray, Lord, take note of me. And when there's nothing else to say, you can say, I serve the God to whom nothing is impossible. Let's pray.